back to the paranormal rabbit hole, first of all. Thank you for listening. And actually, now, first things first, a little bit of business first. Uh, first, first. Uh, unfortunately, that was just me. I haven't had any beverages tonight. But if you want to go enjoy one, go grab one, come back, you know, pause it, of course. Or you could go through my talking and grab the bottle real quick and, you know, a glass, bring it back. Now you're sitting, you're settling, you're settling, you're settled, you're in. Welcome back. Pour yourself a beverage, folks, because we are going to have a good discussion tonight. We're going to talk about something that's near and dear to me, but of course, first to business. Um, actually, it's not business. It's just to inform you that we now have a podcast Instagram page. Boom. That's that annoying horn thing. I'm not going to do that again. Okay, just don't worry about it. This time it was just a fluke. It was just there. Accept it. Move on because it's not happening again. Okay? It's not. All right. Anyways, back to it. We are Paranormal Rabbit Hole Podcast on Instagram. All one word. Just run it all together. That's right. One huge word. But if you want to get very specific, specific, it's Paranormal Rabbit Hole Podcast look it up on Instagram and give us a follow and then actually share what you might want to hear on a show sometime you know give me some of your knowledge so I can look something up and see what you might like you know get into that topic a little bit share the the wealth of knowledge that we all share Um, but first of all something dropped first of all the topic today's topic Well, today's topic is a highly enjoyable one. I've been hinting at it. I don't know if you could guess what it is, but we're just going to jump into it. So, uh, the American ship Silas Richards was sailing off St. George's Bank south of Nova Scotia at 6.30 p.m. on June 16, 1862. When its captain, Henry Holdridge, and passenger Englishman William Warburton saw a most peculiar sighting. An enormous, many-humped, snake-like creature slowly approaching the vessel. Warburton raced to inform the other passengers who were below deck, but only a handful responded. Warburton recalled, The remainder refused to come up, saying there had been too many hoaxes of that kind already. Even in the early years of the 19th century, the sea serpent had a reputation, as in Bernard Hevelman's words, uh, the very symbol of a hoax. Uh, That reputation would withstand a bartering, a battering, sorry, bartering. Oh my God. See, like I said, I'm not even drunk. This is sad. Uh, But a bartering, battering, stop it. I'm just seeing that word. I can't stop now. (laughs) <laughs> a battering in the later years of the century with the publication of a number of reports that could not be reasonably that could not reasonably be uh, ascribed to mistakes, delusions, or lies and emerge intact in our time to figure in in inane cliches about the silly season. So tonight, folks, we're going to talk about sea serpents. If you couldn't tell from that whole passage that I read, um, you know, there are many different things that we we have had 
throughout the years. Many different, um, you know, interesting folklores and passages, and all of them talk about sea monsters, some large serpent-like creatures, like sea serpents. Um, and we have many depictions of sea serpents. There are some that look like uh, eels, some that look like, uh, you know, the, uh, the moray eels, some that look like the uh, lionfish, uh, some that look like just large snakes, some that look like dragons, you know, that just sea dragons. And it's such an interesting niche cryptid slash uh, folklore slash well sea shant or sea you know it's it's an old uh, seaman's creature you know a seaman's tail uh, I gotta stop saying that that sounds bad doesn't it it does anyways uh, <laughs> we're gonna be that kind of show tonight folks uh, no we're going to be a paranormal show that's it sorry folks don't get your hopes up there's no uh, paranormal erotica on this show uh, if you want that you can go to uh, <laughs> Necronomapod. Go check them out. They'll get into that. But back to the topic. You know, sea serpents just happen to be in that just mythology and the mythos of the sailor. So um, it's it's just this unique creature. You know, sometimes it's spewing water and, you know, sometimes it's spewing acid and just all these different little mythologies that I'm sure man has come up with for, you know, various excuses of why the sea is angry, you know, that day. Um, but they hold such a, a big place. And yet some people still see them in the, uh, of course, the oarfish, which is this huge uh, flatfish that is just probably I'd say over 20 feet easy um, you know these huge fish that live deep in the ocean and then they come up to the surface and you know start coming to the surface when they die um, it's just these really unique beautiful fish um, and they've seen them in just a few in existence and in, in, you know alive because it's uh, very rare to see them I think it's they live so deep and they you know progress up as they as they die very sad, very sad. And uh, so let's let's talk about sea serpents. So, uh, you know, the, the sea serpents have always been, you know, considered a hoax big time. Uh, they're kind of like a a, a ubiquitous figure in in, myth, in these you know myths and legends, and. Uh, old mythologies like the Greek mythologies of uh, Lycilla and Corinthus and uh, uh, the sirens, you know, and these these fantastic creatures, they've always kind of just been there in that mythology throughout history, always throughout history and, you know, different tales, different sailing tales. You know, the old maps are adorned with sea monsters like, uh, of course, what some we've later come to know, know as whales and probably sharks and manta rays. Uh, what they saw, they, you know, may have thought different and thought them as monsters when actually they were just fish. And then they see these, you know, maybe, uh, to be honest, the, you know, these, some of these fish do on great migration journeys like, man, like rays will go on journeys, migrations, and there'll be so many of them 
that maybe they can look like a serpent and you know that's what they think a serpent is it's it's just this big body of like wiggling mass of no uh uh flippers <laughs> but you know maybe that's what some of them thought uh, while these creatures migrating because they were in such close you know quarters when they migrate but um uh, they've just always kind of been in mythology they appear in history as far back as the you know 1500s uh and further back actually i'm sure uh, you know there's always you know tales of monsters from the sea in native and scandinavian and you know coastal coastal you know primitive cultures like you know vikings and uh of course native american culture back in the primitive times of the you no know, when when it was just you know bow and arrow you know that's the weaponry that's the technology of the time uh, i mean there are churches now that were built in the uh, 1300s that are considered primitive churches because it was a primitive time so uh you know they 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 still have their legends you know i mean in the nay even extended into lakes you know they have lake monsters and they have even uh river monsters now even though that's not the same thing well no it is actually you know these creatures do exist these huge fish that can you know probably eat a person i don't think they you know i don't know about that but uh these wells catfish and these huge catfish out there they're 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 there these big and of course now we have bull sharks that can go upstream so you know now there are new things <laughs> and, and we're able to identify them just as they were back then uh but you know there there are always stories there are always all of these different stories that we hear from sailors uh, uh to give example uh there was a uh, catholic arch archbishop uh, Magnus, Olus Magnus, he was uh, an exiled Catholic Archbishop of Ups. Here we go, here we go. Uh, it, <laughs> Ups, Uppsala, Uppsala, Sweden. Long and moreover, twenty foot thick. A dangerous beast, it lived in caves along the shore and devoured both land and ocean creatures, including the occasional seaman. But um, uh, the snake is. <laughs> this snake disquiets the shippers, Olus Magnus wrote, and he puts up his head on a high like a pillar. Um, so, except for that last detail, Magnus is an, an exaggerated and unbelievable account. But we know from chronicler, chroniclers who came after him that uh, serpents were reportedly normally seen in the North Sea. Wow, okay. So these guys are out there doing their thing along the coast, you know, fishing and uh, maybe staying close to the coast and fishing or throwing nets in and, you know, getting bait fish to fish with um, so that they can go out on the boats and, you know, put nets in for other, you know, fish so they can catch bigger fish, you know, catch a better meal. Um and they're seeing them. And this disgraced archbishop is out there. Now, I mean, he's a disgraced archbishop, so, you know, he's probably trying to hold on to something. So, of course, if he makes up a story about sea monsters, people find him interesting again, right? Maybe? I don't know. Just a thought. Just a thought. I mean, I'd, I, I would love... Well, no, I, you know, I don't think I would love for sea serpents to be real if they're the, you know, big monsters that we see attacking ships. 
Um, I know there was a strange case. I don't know if it was ever solved. It was probably something completely normal. Um, honestly, maybe a bad drug deal. But there was a boat off of San Francisco's uh, Monterey Coast. Or not, well, San Francisco's Monterey Coast. I said that completely wrong. Uh, off of Monterey Bay. Uh, it was a missing uh, a boat that had missing people. Uh, and it was still going. It was still running. Coast Guard went in, you know, shut it off and didn't find anybody. So there was just nobody there. And, of course, things can happen. You know, people can be fishing alone, hit, you know, waves get a little too rough, slip, hit their head, fall in, or, you know, fall in, boat comes back down off of a wave, and they're underneath, bam, knocked unconscious. That's it. You're gone. You're, you're seafood, sea, sea serpent food, maybe. Maybe they find it. Uh, maybe they come out and grab them off the boat. You never know, man. That's the that's the thing. That's the thing about sea serpents. They're jerks. Uh, you know, they just come snatching people off their boats. Uh, not thinking about the gas that it cost them to get on the boat and get out there. Uh, the expensive fishing equipment that they have. You know, just not thinking, not being considerate. That's what they're doing. Sea serpents, man. Out there just trying to bust up a good time. Uh, but no, a lot of those boat accidents can actually occur from alcohol or maybe just, you know, people being out by themselves facing rough seas. Um, so, you know, rough to accept, but maybe a sea serpent, maybe not. Uh, I know there was a, a tape called The Lost Lost Tapes, and it was like a show where they uh, went after monsters, you know. They went after monsters and uh, creatures like that, and... Well, no, they didn't go after them, but they were like uh, found footage. But they were, you know, they were like, you know, what would happen if there were really a monster? Here's something we think it might look like, and then they kind of go over a fake scenario that happened to this person. So it's it's you know that kind of a show where they admit that it's fake, but they're like, you know, but what if? But what if? Right? What if? Uh. In 1734, Protestant priest Hans Egid, I apologize for butchering that, saw a monster estimated to be 100 feet long rise from the water off the coast of Greenland. He recorded the experience in a book published in 1741, a little little over a decade later. Uh, The most influential of the early treatments appeared in the Natural History of Norway by Bishop Eric Pontop. Pontipidian, 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 Eric, Bishop Eric Pontipidium. So that's where you can get a sea serpent book. That is a natural history book of Norway. Uh, And one chapter destined to be cited frequently in the controversies of the next two centuries, the bishop addressed the question of merfolk, the kraken known as the giant squid, though once deemed mythical, recognized by science in the late 1800s. Uh, and the sea serpent, all which he believed on the testimonies of individuals <laughs> of good reputation to exist. Uh, the reports indicated that uh, Pontipidian wrote that more than one kind of animal was involved. Egides. Egides. Not going to get spelled or pronounced correctly on this show unfortunately, and I am terrified that uh, I'm mispronouncing it, so I'm going to stop. Uh, E.G.'s monster, for example, was directly different or distinctly different from those seen off the Scandinavian coast. For example, the head in all the kinds is high and broad forehead, but in some, 
as an EGs, <laughs> a pointed snout, uh, though in others that is flat, like that of a cow or a horse with large nostrils, and several stiff hairs standing out of each side like whiskers. That kind of sounds like a, a seal or a walrus. I'm just going to say. You know. Whiskers on either side of the nose. A big nose. Well. hundred foot. Maybe it was a big walrus. You know. I would. I would. I would think that maybe that could be possible. They're just seeing it. And they're like. Ooh. That's a hundred foot long that is. And they're like. Somebody else on the boat's going, you have no fucking frame of reference, do you? You have no idea how long that is. Let me see. That's at least 50. <laughs> so, <laughs> pretty much what happened here is that these guys were out in the ocean and they saw a walrus, probably pissed drunk, and were like, you know what? That's a monster. I I I'm not gonna lie. I think that's a monster. Uh, it looks like one. I do not like the side of it. Therefore, I think it is ugly and monstrous. And that's what happened. <laughs> and that that's pretty much what that one sounds like. That one sounds like they just kind of missed the buck on a walrus. You know, they saw one and they were like, "What the hell is that?" What is that? Do you see that? Look at this thing. What is that? What is that? Uh, that's a sea serpent. That's what that is. Yeah. I think. Nailed it. Got it. Name it. That's mine. I called it. Thank you. I'm a priest. God said that that's, I, I get credit for that. That's what I get credit for, you know? So... <laughs> I think they just kind of missed the buck on a walrus. Uh, in an account of two voyages to New England, published in the 1674, uh, in the year 1674, in the 1674, uh, John Jocelyn recalled a 1639 conversation with residents of Massachusetts Colony. They told me of a sea serpent or snake that lay coiled upon a rock in Cape Ann. This is the first known printed reference of an American sea serpent in the next century and a half. Thousands of residents of New England and Canada's maritime province would observe comparable creatures. Boom. Sea serpents coiled up on rocks. So I don't know about that. I don't know what to think about that fact. Um, so let's, let's talk about, first of all, when we see a, when we think sea serpent in our heads, what is our first image? Is it a creature that lives primarily in the ocean? Can it come on land? Does it breathe water? Does it breathe oxygen? Does it breathe both? Is it amphibious? What is what is your general idea of what a sea serpent is? You know, what is your what is your ideal picturesque sea serpent? What does it look like? Is it a fit? Is it more fish-like? Is it more eel-like? Which eels a fish, but we won't get any, we're not going to go into all that. Uh, 
is it more like a shark? Is it more like a, a whale? Is it more like a lionfish? Which I think the lionfish is already pretty cool. So a sea serpent that looks like a lionfish would be badass. Um, you know, do we see it curled up on a rock? You know, like laying out in the sun, like, oh, hey, you know, is it still like, is it amphibious? Is it, does it, you know, have to come up for air? Does it stay below the water because it's amphibious or it's primarily like a fish? And it breathes oxygen through gills, maybe. What is what is the biology of your ideal sea serpent? You know, and what is the realistic biology of one? Would it be more amphibious? Would it be more snake-like? Would it be more fish-like? Would it be maybe shark-like? Would it be maybe whale-like? Would it be like a, a, the bacillosaur, which is a, a, a prehistoric whale? Would it be more like that? We have to... You know, think, what would a real sea serpent look like? What would it do? Like, we have sea snakes. Do they come out of the water and do they, do they sunbathe? Uh, and that's actually a great question. I should I should have researched that, too. I should have thought about that before, but I didn't. You know, it's at this moment. Um, but if anybody could tell me, you know, that'd be great. Hit us up on Instagram, on Paranormal Rabbit Hole Podcast. Uh, on Instagram, that, that's what you look up. It's Paranormal Rabbit Hole Podcast. That's the name. All one word. Paranormal Rabbit Hole Podcast. Go on there. Check us out. Follow us and tell us what you want to hear about. Not only that, uh, get back to me on this, you know, uh, and I'm going to plug it, guys, because we just got it. So I'm going to remind you that it's there up for, you know, discussions. Always. Always. Anyways. So. We have. You know, these these sightings, uh, you know, here's one from George Little in May of 1780. I was lying in Round Pond in a broad bay off the main coast in a public armed ship at sunrise. I discovered a huge serpent or monster coming down the bay on the surface of the water. The cutter was manned and armed, and I went myself in the boat and proceeded after the serpent, within a few hundred feet, the mariners were ordered to fire on him, but before they could make ready, the serpent dove. He was not lost, not less than 45 to 50 feet in length, uh, largest diameter of his body, I should judge 15 inches, his head nearly the size of that of a man, uh, which he carried four or five feet above the water. He wore every appearance of a common black snake. So... This thing looked like a big snake, you know, that he, you know, it, it lifted its head above the water a few feet uh, and carried it, you know, four or five feet above the water. So maybe if it was going forward, it looked like a snake that's swimming forward. Uh, it, it doesn't really say if it undulated like a snake, though. So was it just, <laughs> and I hate to, there's an image of something drawn just like this that it's jutting across and I'll put it up on, uh, I'll have put it up on our Instagram page by now. Uh, and it, it, I'll put it up and it, it looks like a snake that's just kind of like a powerboat just skiing across the top of the water I mean is it going straight like that or does it you know just kind of undulate like a sea snake just ever so much and to that rapid undulation to where it moves very quickly and it can whip its body very quickly you know is is that what this thing can do uh, a year earlier the crew of an American gunship the protector had an extraordinary encounter in Prescott Bay uh, the day was clear and calm when a large serpent was discovered outside the ship. The animal was lying on the water quite motionless. 
uh, after expecting it with the glasses for some time. Captain Williams ordered Preble to man and arm a large boat in the endeavor to destroy the creature, or at least go as near to it as he could. The boat thus employed pulled 12 oars and carried a swivel in its bows. Uh, besides having its crew armed as boarders, Preble shoved off and pulled directly towards the monster. As the boat neared it, the serpent raised its head about 10 feet above the surface of the water, looking about it. It then began to move slowly away from the boat. Uh, they pushed on, his men pulling with all of their force, and the animal began at no great distance. Oh, and the animal at being no great distance. I can read, folks. I swear to God I can. <laughs> the swivel was discharged, loaded with bullets. Uh, the discharge produced no effect, though. So, you know, these things get spotted. Let's Let's see... You know, let's see what, you know, can actually hold up in, uh, you know, in the new, you know, round of science that we have now, this new in-depth knowledge that we have, what kind of things could actually hold up, uh, realistically for a sea serpent, you know, it, it would, you know, one, it being snake-like like that, you know, being like a sea snake, you know, being able to go up to the surface, breathe, and then boom, go back down. Or, you know, maybe it's more aquatic like an amphibious. You know, that that's, you know, possibly, you know, a, a, a big part of it. You know, it, it could be these things are just so big uh, that we don't, you know, we don't know what what to do with them, you know. We have, you know, Loch Ness. We have, uh, uh, you know, Caddy, these, these sea monsters. Uh, the Glucoster Sea Serpent. Um, we might talk about that a little bit here. Uh, let's, let's, let's see if we can't uh, get a few more of these, uh, you know, these, these uh, ship stories, you know. Uh, oh, Let's see. Let's see. I just want to kind of get one more story before we go into this discussion. Um, man, it, there's this, this, you know, I've got so many here. I'm just trying to, you know, kind of look through and give you guys the best one. Uh, there were sporadic sightings in the following decade in New England. Uh, the sea serpent did not become an international cause to uh, celebrate until the second decade of the 19th century. Wow, that's kind of brutal, this book, though. Uh, and this is from uh, Jerome Clark's uh, Unexplained. Guys, if you want to, it's a just compilation of different stories, kind of short runs. And so I grabbed it and just kind of started doing research on this. And that's why I picked Sea Serpents today is because I found this one. I want to kind of go over some of the stories it had. Uh, over a period of time in Massachusetts, numerous witnesses on both Ship and shore saw the animal. Some representatives report uh, Hawkins Wheeler, June 6, 1819. Uh, I had a fair and distinctive view of the creature, and from his appearance, I am satisfied that it was of the serpent kind. Uh, the creature was entirely black. The head, which perfectly resembled a snake, was elevated from four to seven feet above the surface of the water. 
his back appeared to be composed of bunches of humps, uh, apparently about as large as or a little larger than a half barrel. Um, I think I saw as many as 10 or 12. So this guy saw about 10 or 12 distinctive humps. So when he says humps, were they humps or they undulations of, you know, where the serpent was, you know, back and forth undulating to go through the water? Is that what he saw? And he was considering humps, you know, because it was undulating quickly. He just sees these humps, uh, this serpent's lovely lady lumps. But, um, <laughs> but he, he think he saw as many as 10 or 12. So I consider them to be caused by the undulation. Yep, boom, there it is. I sh- if I would have just kept reading, we would have had our answer, guys. Uh, the tail was not visible, but from the head to the last hump it could be seen was, I should judge, 50 feet. So the humps could be undulations of a large serpent. Uh, Samuel Cabot, in August 14th, 1819, uh, says his attention was suddenly arrested by an object emerging from the water at a distance of about 100 or 150 yards, which gave me mind to pause uh, and at first glance perceive a horse head. Uh, at a short distance of 8 or 10 regular bunches or protuberant. Oh, I also saw a short distance of 8 or two, 10 protuberances or bumps and a at a short interval, three or four more. Uh, the head was serpent-shaped. It was elevated about two feet from the water, and he could not be less than 80 feet long. So, with that, I go to you folks, and I talk to you now about my opinion of sea serpents. Folks, the ocean is so vast, so deep, so dark, so broad and ever-encompassing on the earth. It is, you know, the earth is pretty much ocean. We know that. There is no way that there is not a giant sea serpent-type creature somewhere out there existing in the ocean. Come on. You know, I guess you could say the same thing to me about aliens. You know, you could say the same thing. But, I mean, it's just, they're so, it's it's just not possible that there's not. But, to kind of keep focus, um, I'll, I'll, what what makes us see these creatures what what how do some of us see them and, and apparently in the 1800s in Maine and Massachusetts uh which you know it's hard to believe but apparently up that way there were several several sea serpent sightings um a glucoster sea serpent another one very famous, you know, and it would, I mean, several people saw it around, you know, 17 to, to now, actually, I think. No, well, to the last I saw, actually, I will be honest, last I saw about 
2004, 2005. And to be honest, it's so widespread, so far back, and, and so broadly spoken about in, in these ancient cultures. And, you know, I mean, it's in Scandinavian folklore. It's in heavy in Scandinavian folklore. Vikings actually designed their ships to, to represent these terrible serpents that would come out of the mist. And, 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 you know, villagers would see them. Now, of course, let's also think how many of our sightings at that time period were those ships? You know, I, I may be a, a ship or two sailing by were sought as were saw it's saw seen as sea serpents it it makes sense but how many vikings saw sea sea serpents and went oh man that ship would look great like if we came out of the mist if it looked like that on the end of it, that thing, if it looked like that thing out there swimming in the ocean, let's make our boats look like that. I bet that's what happened. Honestly, I bet that's what happened. I mean, think about it. Honestly, you know, just saying, (laughs) um, but no, I mean, we have these great creatures that have existed. I mean, I, if I remember correctly, there were some on Columbus's ship that actually saw different sea creatures that were, uh, you know, to them perceived to be, um, you know, uh, uh, devils or demons, you know. And, of course, that's probably a manta ray, you know. That, that's the, the highest possibility. But what if sometimes these guys saw these sea serpents? You know, I mean, they're they're very, very large accounts. But also, how many of these are big fish estimations? We all have those stories. We all have those stories. Oh man, dude, I went I went fishing the other day, caught a fish this big, and then the next person you tell, oh man, it was this big, you know, and you're you're size progresses you know the fisherman's story it was this big it was this big always changes and the further along it gets the bigger the story gets the bigger the fish gets so it's it's you know how how much of it was that how much of it was them seeing something that they didn't recognize yet by science not knowing what it is coming back and saying oh shit guess what we saw You know, how much of it now, of course, how much of that could be, uh, how much of that could be influenced by cabin fever or, you know, them being stuck in a boat for long periods of time with, you know, probably zero good hydration going stir crazy because they can't get off the boat. They only have the boat and that's it. That's their only walking, you know, sanctuary. How much of it is lost nerves to sailors that were, you know, losing their shit at the time? Because a lot of it seems like a drunk 
mislabeling of you know animals like a seal being a mermaid and a walrus being a sea serpent with whiskers coming out of its nose and big eyes and you know <laughs> how much of that is how much of that is drink infused let's be honest how how many of these sailors saw things and they were like plastered shit drunk like oh my fucking god look at that shit man not that they're that kind of a hippie but you know holy christ jonathan look there there's a sea serpent and they're drinking rum actively and they're like looking at a rat that's crawled up on the side of the on the deck oh look at that look there and that's it you know what if it's the what if it's mostly that and and also how much of what we know now of lake monsters have spawned from sea serpents you know, and, and how many of these stories of lake monsters are because of sea serpents of, you know, like, oh, well, we have some body of water. Why can't we have a monster in our body of water? It would draw attention to the town. You know, maybe Loch Ness is, is, is fake. Maybe that's not real. I think a lot of us cryptid, paranormal cryptozoologists have, uh, have kind of moved on from Loch Ness a little bit. Uh, just because there have been no real big, you know, sightings that have been conclusive. There's no conclusive evidence that it's anything other than maybe nothing. And I, that was, dude, I remember when I was a kid, I was all about the Loch Ness Monster. I found a book in my library. That was my first introduction to cryptids. The Loch Ness, I mean, I knew about Bigfoot. You know, I knew about that. Harry and the Hendersons. Knew all about that. You know, I knew... Of course, you got the mummies, vampires, werewolves, but those were movie monsters for me. I never really, you know, for you know, forethought had the forethought to think, oh, these animals, these cryptids might be real as well. Uh, and sidebar, there was actually a great story about werewolves and things like that coming from crop circles. I read it; and it was it was kind of crazy, but it was a, a good read. But basically, this guy said that the crop circles are gateways and that werewolves and vampires and creatures like that are probably the things that are coming out of them uh but it was it was just insane it was crazy i <laughs> you know i read it and, it and i was like oh that's an interesting theory man that's cool i like that i like that read it was very very interesting probably not real but it was interesting but you know we have these smaller stories uh, to go back to sea serpents and all that. We have these smaller stories. I know I'm just leaving something behind, but I want to get back to the main topic, and that's sea serpents. All of these things can spawn things. Uh, you know, like I said, Loch Ness, it seems like everybody's given up on that one. Maybe there's something there, but maybe not. Um, but we also have, you know, Champ in America. Some people think it's, it's a dinosaur, which... I don't know about that. I don't know about the dinosaur theory. That's just, you know, personal opinion. I just don't know about the dinosaur theory. Maybe, maybe, I mean, there's one guy that thinks it may be a Tanistrophus. Sure. I don't know. I don't think it's any kind of prehistoric, you know, dinosaur. I would be willing to accept... I'd be more willing to accept maybe an, an aquatic dinosaur that were you know oceanic, trapped glacially. But 
I just don't know about like a plesiosaur or tanistrophus. Uh, which a Tanistrophus would be pretty cool. It's like a long-necked Komodo dragon that hunts fish. <laughs> they're they're pretty wicked looking. Um, but uh, it, it's it spawned all of these. I, I I feel like the sea serpents and the sea monsters spawned lake monsters. You know, they they spawned that want for uh, the bodies of water. And of course, what kind of better attractive attraction than a lake monster? You know, what kind of better pull to an area for tourism than a a, a monster tour? You know, I mean, honestly, if you think about it, what do people want to see? People want to see monsters. People want to see fantastical things that are not normal because Rick and Morty, and I hate to say this, but Rick and Morty said it best. Life is boring for people. People want things that are out of the boring. They want that chance to see the Loch Ness Monster. They go on that boat ride to see the Loch Ness Monster because they think, man, if I could just see this one thing, my life will have some sort of completion to it. Now, that's a very unfortunate thing. But also, a lot of people want that because a lot of us have invested our time into these cryptids, into our research into these cryptids, and I respect that very much so. Very much so. Uh, I'm just saying, you know, if you... If you go out and that that you know you find life so boring that you seek out fantastical things, it can get scary because it's not it's not it's not an it's not a smart thing to do sometimes. Um, and this is just speaking from experience. Sometimes when you're investigating, the smart thing to do is always ask for permission first, guys. Find people and ask for permission. That's that's the first thing I'll tell you. Um, and that's why I'm saying what I'm saying. Because it's... <sighs> for people like me and people like... There are others like me that go out to these places. Um, there's an investigator, Matthew Word. He... He lives in, in Scottsville, Tennessee. He has a podcast, and he's he's great. He's great. He has a lot of knowledge about the area. And and like he he knows too. It, it's it's rough. You have to you have to you know ask for permission. You know, there's so much that can go wrong. And that's why adventurers like us go seeking this stuff too, is because that's what we want. We thrive off of that kind of energy now we shy away from we try to work our way through it but it's also a very strong attractant that danger of but also that that completion of knowledge something that we sunk our lives into is alive something that we've studied and researched for years is alive that's that's what we want that's why we do those crazy things but be careful because it can be dangerous, folks. That's why I say what I said. Um, but getting back to sea monsters again. Sorry for going on this rant. But 
like I said, what I feel here is that we have a possible truth half fisherman's tale. Maybe we have some kind of sea creatures out here that are 50 to, you know, 60 feet long or in and these guys are seeing you know well it was 60 it was 100 it was this it was this it was this maybe we do but if we do it's unfortunate because it seems like we've run out of room for monsters you know and cryptids and these great possibilities for these amazing animals You know, uh, I would worry if we found one now. But guys, that's another show done in the slot, in the bag. Uh, Guys, again, check out the podcast. Give us stuff that you want to see on here. Again, we're going to deep dive into some stuff here. Uh, But next, we are going to cover Loch Ness Monster. That's why I'm on this little kick right now, just to kind of cover that. Uh, we're going to cover champ. So we're going to get into the, the lake monsters next. So guys have a great night. Go check us out on the paranormal rabbit hole on Instagram and we will see you later.